I'm telling you, man, that was powerful. It is well with my soul. I was studying the gentleman who wrote that song. I forgot his last name, Horatius. Um, But he lost his daughters in 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 an accident going across the Atlantic. He lost his family. He he sent him and his wife and their girls across to England. And a a tragic ship accident happened. And three of his daughters um, uh, were, were drowned. And then later on, months later, he's traveling across in the ship. He'd gotten word that his daughters had passed away. He was going to see his wife. And um, the ship's commander and the chaplain went to him and says, this is where it happened at. This is where, 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 where the ship sank. And you know what he did? He wrote that song. He wrote that song. Go study the author. Horatius who? Spafford, thank you. Thank you. I knew it was Horatius. Horatius Spafford wrote that song. And a powerful, moving story. In his deepest, darkest pain. And and I can't imagine the agony he was going through. But he said, you know what? It is well with my soul. One day, the the skies will will be rolled back. And Christ will return. That is our hope. That's the believer. That's the Christian's hope. It's the hope that's settled and it's firm. It's going to happen. And that's the day that we look forward to. And because of that great and glorious event and the promises of God's word, we can say, whether it's sunshine or whether it's gloomy, good days, bad days, when life is well, when life is not as well, we can look down deep and we can say, it is well with my soul. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that time of worship. Lord, let us be encouraged and let us be challenged, Lord, as we move forward in our service and as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, and Rick will give you a Bible. Starting a new book this morning. Yes, we finished the book of Galatians. Church, what did we learn from the book of Galatians? Grace. We stand, we're saved by grace. We stand on grace. We live by grace. It's all about our relationship with God. It's based on grace. It's not based on legalism. It's not based on our performance. But it's based on what Christ did for us at Calvary and the grace of God. And we're going to be here in a couple weeks. We'll get to Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll see it, verse 8, where it says, By grace you have been saved through faith. So Paul's going to re emphasize it in this letter to the Ephesians. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I was studying Ephesians chapter 1 this week, and you know, traditionally, Calvary Chapel, we do half a chapter a Sunday. But Verses 3 through 14 in chapter 1 of Ephesians chapter 1 is one continuous sentence in the original Greek language. So I got to studying it, and I started reading about predestination, and uh, we were called before the foundation of the world, and all these high and lofty and theological, biblical, awesome truths. I said, "I I I can't get to that in one Sunday. So today is just an introduction to the book of Ephesians. And we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 3. 
And then next week is when we're going to dive into this great prophetic utterance that the Apostle Paul gives us in verses 3 through 14. Some people even believe that uh, verses 3 through 14 was a, a hymnal, a hymn of the early church. But we're going to save that for next week. But this week is, don't, don't, don't check out on me, because this week is very important. Today is very important. Today we're laying the foundation for our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians. And it's very, very important. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. As I was studying this week, the theme that kept coming to my mind, and I put it out in the email this week, is the title of my sermon is, No Place I Would Rather Be. There's no other place I would rather be. And when you understand where Paul is writing this from and the circumstances and the situation he's in, it makes perfect sense. There's no place we would rather be. I I polled a few people this week. I asked several people. I went around and I asked them, I said, if you could go anywhere on planet Earth, where would you go? And more importantly, what would you be doing? What would you be doing? Where, Where would you go? Think about it in your mind, in your heart right now. If you could go anywhere on the planet, where would it be and what would you be doing? I asked my wife, I said, honey, I said, if you go anywhere on the world, where where would you want to go? She said, I want to go to Russia. I'd like to go to Russia and explore the history and and, and all the things that's happened over there. I would love to go to Russia and, and explore the history of everything that happened over there. I asked Maurice Monroe, I said, Maurice, if you go anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? He said, I would want to go to Hawaii and do some surfing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He did say Hawaii, though. <laughs> he did say Hawaii. He didn't, he, didn't say about, he didn't talk about the surfing, though. He, he said he would like to go explore the islands. He said if he could go anywhere in the world, he would go to Hawaii. And then bless her heart. This one blessed me the most, and I saved it for last. Came in Wednesday night, and uh, the worship team was practicing, and Emma little Emma Berkeley was running around the sanctuary and I went up to Emma and I said Emma if you could go anywhere in the world where would you want to go and Emma put her thinking cap on and she thought and she said "Mm," she had a little hum there she said heaven I was like oh my goodness I said I said I said no I said no Emma anywhere on earth she said "Mm, mm, heaven but what, what a beautiful thing for Emma to say, but what, how true it is. Uh, where would we want to go? The theme of the book of, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is this. There's no place I would rather be. Paul, in this book, is going to explore the glorious truths of the gospel and the glorious position that you and I are in as believers in Jesus Christ. Ruth Paxton said this. She said, Of all God's wonders in his natural creation, which he has given me to see, none seems more wonderful than the Grand Canyon. She says this. She says, Ephesians is the Grand Canyon of Scripture. 
And that's what the word of God is. That's what Jesus Christ is to us. Can you, can you imagine how long it would take to explore the Grand Canyon? I doubt anybody's ever done it. It's so big and it's so magnificent. And it's so glorious to, to take in all the beauty and the sights and the rivers and the cliffs and the mountains. So it is in our relationship with God. So it is in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the word of God is. It's like the Grand Canyon. It's magnificent. It's glorious. How many of y'all remember that song by uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman back in the 90s called The Great Adventure? Anybody remember that? That was a, that's an oldie and I'm dating myself. But that's what the Christian life is. It is a great adventure that we're on. And it's like we're going through the Grand Canyon and we're seeing this spectacular view of what it means to be in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's glorious. Let as, as we get into the scripture this morning, man, just meditate on the scriptures and let it come to life and, and let it breathe fresh life in you. This is an awesome, awesome book. Ephesians chapter, um, six chapters in the book of Ephesians, chapter one through three are theology, what we believe in the great truths of God and who he is, and the glorious gospel. And then chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. So chapters 4, 5, and 6 are application. So we're going to learn theology, we're going to learn about Christ, we're going to learn about these awesome things, and then we're going to see applications in chapters uh, 4, 5, and 6. Um, Ephesians is one of four prison epistles, along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. The... Um, The church at Ephesus that this is addressed to was established by Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila in Acts chapter 18 and 19. Um, I'm not going to get into the the, uh, Acts chapter 19, but man, the book of Acts dedicates a whole entire chapter, Acts chapter 19, to the things that were going on at Ephesus. They worshipped this temple, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, the temple of Artemis. The The city of Ephesus was in bondage. It was in bondage specifically to sexual immorality at the temple of Artemis. It's what drove the town. You can go there today and still find the the statues to this ancient temple that was one of the seven wonders um, of the world. But what I want to look at this morning is I want to look at three phrases in verses 1, 2, and 3. And take a look at them. The three phrases, I want to say that these are who the gospel extends to. But verse 1, we're going to look at Paul, an apostle of, of Christ, who was Paul. Then in verse 1, the second thing we're going to look at this morning is it says, to the saints. To the saints. We're going to dive into that subject. And then thirdly, we're going to look at um, verse 2, where it says, grace to you. Grace to you. So those are the three areas we are going to look at three passages I'm going to, words I'm going to focus in on this morning. So let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. As we get into it now, Lord, uh, speak to our hearts, encourage us and challenge us, and let us understand the Grand Canyon of Scripture. Help us understand this glorious truth of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. You know, sometimes to understand the good news, you got to understand the bad news. And we're, and we're going to talk about that this morning. The gospel is good news only when you understand the bad news. When you understand where God has taken us from, 
where he has rescued us from, you understand the depravity of sinful man. You understand our situation separated from God. When you rightly understand that, the gospel, man, will just blow your mind. It becomes glorious. Let's look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Who is Paul? In the New Testament, the number one figure is who? Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is the central figure in the New Testament. But number two person in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. In his life, it's amazing. God didn't come down to earth and go into the temples and pick this holier-than-thou man and say, okay, I'm going to commission you, and you're going to write most of the New Testament. God didn't do that. He chose a wretched sinner. He chose a man who was lost to first display his grace and his glory in this individual so that what God does in that individual becomes a testimony throughout the rest of the New Testament. Paul, some people see him as a high and lofty person, a holier-than-thou person, someone that's unapproachable. But I believe that the Apostle Paul was a very down-to-earth guy. I believe he was a down-to-earth guy, and he would probably fit in with us here at Calvary Chapel. He'd be like one of us, chumming and talking around and hanging out, and he wouldn't be this high and lofty person. Imagine today if Paul, the Apostle Paul was here with us, and he decided he wanted to apply to be a missionary. What might that look like? I want to read to you a letter to Paul from the Modern Missions Board. So let's just hypothetically say... Paul has applied to be a missionary. He submitted his resume, and now the missions board director is writing back the Apostle Paul. This, it might sound something like this. Dear Mr. Paul, we have received your application for missionary service. We have reviewed your application, and to put it simple, we are surprised that you've applied to be a missionary. We understand that you are afflicted with a severe eye trouble. I think you need to get an eye exam scheduled. And we need missionaries with 20-20 vision. That will impair you and keep you from being fully effective. Number two, we also discovered you did a two-year imprisonment at Caesarea and was incarcerated at Rome. Is that true that you have a jail record? We, if you have a criminal background, that, 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 that wouldn't be a good thing to include in being a missionary. They would say to him, we understand, we read somewhere, that you were dragged out of the city gate. You were stoned. You were assaulted by furious mobs. You might need to take a class in friendship evangelism. Therefore, I am sending you a copy of Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Jews and Influence Greeks. <laughs> Mr. Paul, we suspect we're just a little worried about you. We're not sure. Uh, We've got to do some more investigation but we think, Mr. Paul, you might be a flight risk. First you were Asia Minor, then Macedonia, then Greece, then Italy. Now you're talking about a wild goose chase off to Spain. You cannot win the whole world by yourself. You are just one little Paul. Dr. Luke reports that you are very, that you are a thin little man, that you're bald, that you're frequently sick. You're always agitated over your churches. You sleep very poorly. He reports that you pace around the house, 
praying half the night. Paul, this is not healthy. You need to get a good night's rest. Stop worrying about them. You wrote recently to Timothy that you had, a, you had fought a good fight. And you said, I have fought with wild beasts in Ephesus. What on earth are you saying? Fighting by missionaries is not allowed on the missions field. It hurts me to tell you this, but in all my experience, I have never met a man so opposite to the requirements of the Foreign Missions Board. If we accepted you, we would be breaking every rule of modern missionary practice. Sincerely yours, Dr. Joe Fluffyhead, Senior Missions Board Director. Yeah, but Paul was like one of us. And I'm going to show that to you in Scripture. Paul had a, had a, a sinful, he, he, was a, he was a sinner saved by grace. He was a religious man that got delivered from religion and came into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He, Paul was like you and me. He needed salvation and deliverance. He needed deliverance from his sin. He had a dark side. In Acts chapter 8, it says that it says, the guy who's writing this book of Ephesians, it says that uh, Paul gave wholehearted approval to the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. He was, he was Saul before he became Paul. Still the same dude. It says, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Jesus says, He who hates his brother without cause is guilty of murder. Hatred is the same as murder in God's eyes. And Paul was that. Paul was a sinner. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24 through 25. This sums it up. Paul's who he was. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's he saying there? He's saying this. He was a sinner saved by grace. He was just like you and I. He had that ugly flesh inside of him that had to be crucified, that had to be dealt with. And how was it dealt with? It was dealt with at the cross when he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and he saw that blinding light and Jesus knocked him off his horse and transformed his life. Um, Paul, this is important, Paul was saved from religion. Paul was saved from religion. Paul was steeped in the traditions of the Pharisees. He was very religious, as we would call it. Listen to what he said in Philippians 3, 5. He says, talking about himself, Paul says, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. On the outside, Paul looked good. Paul had it all together. He was prim, proper. He was dressed for success as a religious man, as a Pharisee. But on the inside, it was dry bones. Dry bones he had until he met Christ. And the Holy Spirit came inside of him. And he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And by him meeting the Lord Jesus Christ, everything else melted. Everything else melted. Uh, that, that was Philippians 3, 5. 
Go down a little bit further in Philippians chapter 3. When Paul's talking about this, he says this. He says, more than that, talking about his religious experience, Philippians 3, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. He says, I count them as rubbish. The, the Greek word there, it, it means horse dung. He counted everything else, everything else compared to knowing Jesus Christ, all of his, his past, everything compared to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was Paul's Grand Canyon. It was this glorious experience. It was this great adventure. And what he's saying, he says, he says in, in Philippians 3, I count them all rubbish so that I may gain Christ. What he's saying is, is the title of my sermon. There's no place I would rather be. I would, there's no place I would rather be. And then, so we got the first word of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. He says, and now he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He's an apostle. That word apostle means one that is sent forth. He was sent forth to the Gentile world to establish the gospel. And then it says, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. It says to the saints. Do you see the problem with that? See the problem with that? According to the religion and the tradition of our day, in order to be a saint, you have to be dead for five years. You have to be dead for five years. There has to be two bona fide miracles that you've done in your life. There has to be a, a committee gathered to vote and to scrub through every single part of your life and make sure everything lines up. That's what tradition and religion says is of a saint. But the scripture says that's not how you become a saint. You become a saint by becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. You are a saint. Saints are believers. That word saint, when you, when you consider tradition and religion, it implies someone that's dead, someone that's passed away, someone there's a statue, a white statue of them with candles around it. But saints are not dead. Saints are not dead. Saints are alive in Christ, according to Scripture. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word saint, it implies that you're set apart. When you became a believer in Jesus Christ, God is setting you apart for his service and his kingdom. What is God? First off, he's setting you apart for devotion to Jesus. Okay? It, it begins there. It starts there. It ends there. It is there. But he sets you apart also for service. What is God setting you apart for to do for him in this life? What is, he, what is it he's doing? To the saints. The saints, we are alive, church. We're not dead. We are alive. And we're saints. And we're set apart. We're filled by the Holy Spirit. And we're not dead, but we're alive. And it says, uh, he says there, to the saints, I, I know this is, we're digging deep into these three verses, but it's very important to establish. But look at the next phrase. He says, who are at Ephesus? Who are at Ephesus? Now, Galatians was written to the churches of Galatia for a specific reason. There were issues that they were dealing with, mainly legalism, that Paul wrote Galatians. But the, the letter to the Ephesians, and even in the original language, we don't have the word Ephesus in there. It was, it was a circular letter that was meant to, to go to Ephesus, Colossae, to Laodicea, 
but theologians and scholars all agree that it went to Ephesus first. That was the first stop. So what's up with this city Ephesus? What, what does history tell us about this, this ancient city Ephesus? I want to read to you what John MacArthur says. He says this in his commentary. Ephesus was a leading commercial and cultural city of the Roman Empire. It boasted of the great pagan temple Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But it was also a leading city in debauchery and sexual immorality. Some historians rank it as the most lascivious city of Asia Minor. The temple of Artemis was the center of the wickedness there. The temple rituals and practices included man's vilest and most perverted sins. Male and female roles were interchanged. Homosexuality took place and every other sexual perversion were common at this temple, at this practice in this city of Ephesus. The temple uh, of Artemis, also called Diana, uh, was, was, was herself. She was a sex goddess. And she was served by thousands of temple prostitutes, enochs, singers, dancers, priests, and priestesses. And you, one of the greatest commentaries on this ancient city is Acts chapter 19 in our Bible, where Paul went there. He took a shellacking. He took a beating. He, he faced the, uh, the, the, the guys who were making the statues and told them to stop. And they revolted against the Apostle Paul because they were making statues to the temple of Artemis. That culture, according to Acts chapter 19, everything in that city, it surrounded. It, it, the centerpiece of it was the temple of Artemis. This was their place of worship. This is why I believe, turn, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 real quick. This is what I believe, this, this is who I believe why Paul writes what he writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and the other churches, but I believe he has the temple of Artemis in mind when he writes verses 17 through 19. Take a look at it. He says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. They, having become, become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That word in verse 19, sensuality, it means uh, lasciviousness. It means unbridled lust, unbridled immorality, a free-for-all type uh, atmosphere. Do whatever you want with your body, with whoever you want. That was what the Apostle Paul was facing at, at Ephesus, was, was this gross immorality that he was calling them to repent and turn from and turn to Christ. And then, he's, and then the, the last word of the verse, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That city made their money on the temple of Artemis. They made their money. That temple goes down, their money goes down. And they didn't care about nothing but the almighty dollar and the immorality that took place. So I believe that's who Paul had in mind here. Whenever, um, he, when he, whenever he wrote this, he had the temple of Artemis. And then verse 1 continues. He says, And who are faithful in Christ Jesus? This, Christ, this, this, this phrase, Christ Jesus, 
It occurs over 15 times in the, uh, in the book of Ephesians. It's a dominating phrase that we see specifically in this book. What does it mean? What does it mean to, what does in Christ Jesus mean? It simply means this. He is in us and we are in him. Simple. That you're a believer in Jesus and he has come down and he dwells inside of you. He dwells inside your heart by his Holy Spirit and you are with him. Because we're going to see in the next verse, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Our names are written in heaven. Our salvation is secure but what, by what Christ did at Calvary, what he did through the resurrection and what, he's, what he is at the right hand of the Father. We are in Christ and he is in us. It's like uh, in Christ Jesus, it's like, um, it's like you're clothed with Christ. What a beautiful truth. What a beautiful truth that he clothes us not with religion, not with philosophy, not with tradition, but he clothes himself with, he clothes us with him. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to be to connected to him. And then, and, then, and then when you add the phrase before, it says, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. What does that word faithful mean? Simply means that you're, uh, you're active in your faith. Being a believer in Jesus, you believe in him, He's dwelling inside of you. You're seated with him in heaven, but, you, but you're, you're, you're active in your faith, meaning we read our Bibles. We, we feed our souls with the word of God. We're active in our faith through worship and prayer. This past Wednesday night was amazing. It was just a wonderful night, just a wonderful night. You know, we, we Calvary Chapel, we got studying the Bible down pat. We, we, we've nailed, I think we do a really Good job, pray, all glory to God, but we do a great job of studying the scriptures because that, that, that is the cornerstone of the Calvary Chapel movement is the verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible. But we also got to remember there's, there's more, which is prayer, which is worship, which is fellowship, which is engaging the Lord, which is you going to your prayer closet and seeking the Lord yourself, spending time in prayer Spending time in worship. That's what it means to be faithful. Obeying and living for the Lord. Just simple obedience. That's what it means to be faithful. It's it's not only to say, Lord Jesus, I love you and I trust you, but to say, Lord, I want to obey you. I want to obey you with my life. That's what it means to be faithful. And let's not forget about our brothers and sisters. To be faithful in Christ means you're serving the body and you're serving people. And not only are you serving the body, but you're serving those around you. It can be in your school. It can be in your community. It can be in your neighborhood. You are an extension of Christ in your world that God has given you in this life. You are an extension of him. You are, as the scripture says, an ambassador for Christ. And that's what it means to be faithful when we serve others. Now, we've nailed down verse 1. And in verse 1, we see grace in the life of the Apostle Paul. We've talked about that thoroughly on how God rescued the Apostle Paul. We, we've looked at um, grace in the life of the saints, in, in, the, in the life of the body. But look at verse 2. I love verse 2. Grace to who? To you. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know if you read this continuously, verses 1 through 3, he's saying, grace to you, church of Ephesus. But when you read the sentence, it's personal. In other words, it's whoever's reading it. So as you read it, because Scripture is inspired and meant for all of us, when you read it and you look at verse 2, God is saying to you and to me, my grace ex- extended to the Apostle Paul, my grace is extended to the church, but my friend, Rick Howell, as you read your Bible, God is saying to you, grace is extended to you and to Maurice and to all the rest of us here. He's saying, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes it personal. It's the, the reader, verse 2, is, is speaking to the church in context, verses 1 through 3. But when you read that verse alone, he is making it personal, and he's speaking directly to the, re- to, the, to the reader. God wants to do in your life what he did in the Apostle Paul's life. Now, I'm not talking about writing scripture, and I'm not talking about special revelation, but the transformation that took place in Paul's life, he wants to do the same in us. Not only does he want to rescue a person when they get saved and deliver them from sin, but even as a Christian, as you move forward in life, he wants to use you for the kingdom. What, what gift has God given you to serve in the body, in the community? He wants to, he wants to work his grace in you. He wants, to, he wants to save people, deliver people. He wants to transform people. It says, grace to you and peace, uh, I love this, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater place to be than being a believer in Jesus in 2018. You are in the palm of his hands. Of, I love this. I remember when I first read this as a kid. Look! There's Jesus' first and middle and last name. It says right there, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I first read that, I was like, oh, there, there it is. There's his full name. But that's not the case. That's not the case. That's not the case. Lord, it means karyos. It means uh, these are descriptions of who Jesus is and who he is to you, the believer. When we say Jesus is Lord, you were saying he, he is our master. He is our master. He's the one that is sovereign. He's the one that is dominion. And that word Lord in relationship to the believer's life means that we seek to obey our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then it's, that's Lord. Then it's Jesus. The word Jesus means Jehovah is our salvation. Our salvation is in what he did. Not in what we do, but in what he did at the cross. What he did at the cross and what he did at the resurrection. Then Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Christ means Messiah. It means the anointed one. It means the deliverer. And even after you become a Christian, he wants to move forward ahead of you and be your deliverer and be the one that takes you forward in life and be the one that that keeps you from the snares and keeps you from the enemies and makes you effective in service. There's no greater place to be than a believer who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Grand Canyon of Scripture, the book of Ephesians. Wait till we get into next week. You, th- you think this is something. Go home and study verses 3 through 14. And while you're, while you're studying it, pray for Pastor David. Because <laughs> it's going be, to be a long week. 
preparing. So the grace to you and peace. And I love the grace and peace. There's an order there. There's a, there's a Pauline greeting there. He puts in a lot of his books. A person has to experience grace before they can experience peace. You have to experience the grace of God. And then you experience peace. There's two pieces in the Bible. The first one is peace with God. Because God is a holy God and man is a sinner. And they are at odds. They are at anonymity with each other. And the Lord Jesus Christ, through his shed blood at Calvary, brings peace. It satisfies the wrath of God between a holy God and a sinner. And it brings peace. The two are in union again. The second form of peace in scripture is the tranquility of mind. And we can have that today as a Christian. When we're going, when just as Horatius wrote that song, It is well with my soul, we can have the peace of God in our lives through Christ Jesus. Let's look at verse 3. As I, when, I, when I began my sermon preparation this week, this is where I got my sermon title. There, there's, no, there, there's no place I would rather be. I, I was looking at verse 3 when it came to me. He says, uh, oh, also, keep in mind as we read this verse, this, this, when you read this verse, I picture a grand cathedral church with the pipes and the high ceilings. And it's, it's very high and lofty verse that I see all these people standing and reciting and singing. And it's, it's just creating a heavenly sound in a huge church. But when he wrote this, Paul was in a dungeon. Paul was in a dungeon in Rome awaiting trial. He was chained between two guards. He had chains. He had shackles. He had shackles on both hands. Chained between two guards writing this epistle. It changes. That changes the, the tone of the verse. Understanding where he was at. Let's look at it. Verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul, despite his situation, despite where he was, in a prison, chained between two guards, awaiting trial, awaiting possible death, he looks out spiritually across the Grand Canyon of being in Christ. And he says, you know what? These chains have got me. These guards have got me. I'm, I'm in prison for the chains of Christ. But you know what, though? There is no place I would rather be on this earth than to be in Christ Jesus. And there's a phrase in here that I had a challenging time wrapping my mind around, but it's the, it's the last four words in verse 3. Let's read the whole verse again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What is the heavenly places in Christ. This is mentioned five times in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to see this phrase throughout. What does it mean? Each chapter has a slight variation of meaning of what it means to be in Christ. But John MacArthur says this, talking about this phrase, the heavenly places in Christ. He says, it's the supernatural realm of God. My friend, we have dual citizenship. We have dual citizenship. Not only are you a citizen of Lexington or Richland County or of South Carolina, 
and you're a citizen in this world, but you have a citizenship in heaven. You have a, citizen, a citizenship with Christ in the supernatural realm of God. In eternity, you are seated with Christ in your relationship. Merrill Unger says this concerning this phrase, heavenly places in Christ. He says, it's the realm of the believer's position and experience as a result of being united with Christ by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have this amazing position with God in heaven. Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Your eternal destiny is secure. Go with me for a minute. Can you imagine a world with no Bible? All of a sudden you just wake up into the world and there's no Bible. There's no explanation of eternity. What are we doing here? Who put us here? How did we get here? More importantly, what happens on the other side? That would be a very weird, I call it weird, scary situation. But thanks be to God, he's given us his word. And we can have peace of mind in this life knowing where we'll spend our eternity. Where we'll spend our eternity. As soon as church is over, me and the family got a bolt down to Augusta, Georgia to go to a funeral. My, my cousin Billy, he passed away this week of leukemia, 49 years old, young. It tore our hearts up. I cried for a day and a half. Because I, I love my, my, my cousin Billy. We used to run around in grandma's backyard playing cowboys and Indians. And I loved him so much. And it hurts. Death hurts. Death, there's nothing natural about it. But thank you, God, for the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for your word. That you have given me your word. That my cousin, Billy, because he was a believer, is in heaven brings peace of mind it keeps me from worrying oh, what are we doing here I know what's going on Jesus said in John 17 he says sanctify them by the truth your word is truth and we can bank on everything it says in it including what happens in eternity including by having a personal relationship with Christ Jesus make sure your faith is grounded in Christ make sure you're secure there's nothing more important than your eternal salvation that is the ultimate question for every single human being is where will I spend eternity? We, we, we live life, I'm guilty, I'll lead the way. We live life thinking we, we have forever. We live life thinking, oh, I've, I've got forever. Nothing's going to happen to me. Many people think that way. When the facts say that over 10,000 people step from, time, step from time into eternity every single day. Let's trust in Christ, trust in our relationship with him, and understand, as verse 3 says, that um, every spiritual blessing is in the heavenly places in Christ. We're seated with him. You, you, your soul is saved. You're in a right relationship. And let that relationship with Christ, let it um, work its way out into everyday life. Let it, let it work its way out into everyday life. Let it encourage you through your difficult trials and through your difficult situations, whether it be work or family or tragedy or just bad things happen that you're like, oh gosh, why did this happen? Let the fact 
that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Let that comfort your soul. Let that comfort your, your heart. In closing, Paul is writing the book of Ephesians in prison. He's not in this cathedral. He's not looking out across the Grand Canyon. He's, he's, he, he, he's in a dungeon. He's in a dungeon. He's shackled between two, two guards. And I believe the theme of the book of Ephesians as we go through it whoops, is there's no place I would rather be. Nowhere in Scripture do we see the Apostle Paul complaining. Nowhere do we see him saying, Oh, Lord, why me? Why does this got to happen to me? Come on, God, why am I here? Why am I in these shackles? Why am I in these chains? He would say other places in the scriptures that God appointed for him to be there so that he could bring the gospel to the castle and to the, to the praetorium where they were. I can, imagine, I can imagine what those guards were like. You know, Paul's, he's imprisoned. He's shackled between two guards. And every so often, you know, they'd have a changing of the guards. I could just hear those guards in the hallway now. Oh, boy, I got to go in there and take care of Paul. I'm going to, you stand on the left, I'll stand on the right, and he's going to talk about Jesus for the next five hours. But that was Paul's life. That was Paul in this prison. He said, there's no place I would rather be than in Christ Jesus. So no matter what situation you face, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what happens, man, let your heart be settled on the rock, on the rock that is higher than I, on the rock that is higher than you. Be encouraged by that. He understood there's no place I would rather be. Seated with Christ in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, to be a Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is a treasure. He is a treasure that we should just love and hold near and dear to our hearts. He's rescued us from sin He's rescued us from, a, from just the bad choices we've made in life. He's rescued us from the flames of hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and the worm never dies. He's saved us from our sin. He's given us this new life. He is the Grand Canyon of Scripture. And the book of Ephesians is, is this beautiful, magnificent painting that we're fixing to go down. So, so get your life jackets on, get your oars, get your boats, and we're going to go down this grand canyon of Ephesians, and we're going to explore the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us in this new relationship. You know, um, I'm from Irmo, and I wasn't always a Christian. And... There's times in my life when I look back at things that happened here in Irmo where I almost lost my life. Most of, most of the times it was drugs and alcohol related right here in Irmo. And as a Christian, I look back and I think to myself, oh my goodness, I wasn't right with God. And if something would have happened that night, I would not be spending eternity in heaven. And I would be missing out on this glorious truth of being a Christian. And I'm so thankful. Folks, let us seize the moment. Let us seize the moment 
where you're at in life, seize the moment and get into God's word and ask him to work in you and help pray specifically. Say, Lord, let me see the glory of the gospel. Let me see the Grand Canyon of Scripture. And we're going to dive into it. The first three chapters, theology, great and high and lofty truths, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6, family, application, and how we live out the gospel. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for um, this new book that we're in. And Lord, as we, we begin to dive into it next week, Lord, I pray, God, that we'll just see, um, as we're calling it, the, the Grand Canyon of Scripture. There's no place we'd rather be to be in this perfect and righteous relationship with you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word.